good morning. It is always a great joy to be with you all and to look at the Word of God with you. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I'll be reading from verses 5 through 18. And it reads, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We live in a pragmatic age where everything is about action. It has been said that actions speak louder than words. And finally, people seem to believe that and yes, they take it to the extreme. It is common these days to hear advice like, the ball is in your hands, or if you don't do it, no one will do it for you. These sayings are used to show people how, pow how powerful they are if only they could just act. For that reason, we have a lot of people who believe they can literally achieve anything if they put their mind to it and work hard. I'm not sure if there was ever a generation that is as motivated as this one. This is a we can do it generation. However, time and again, this generation of people keep on getting disappointments. In as much as this generation is motivated, it is also frustrated. Mostly because people do not often get what they are looking for. Although they are motivated because they believe everything is in their hands, plus they work hard, they don't seem to get what they believe they need or they deserve. As a result, we see a lot of protest from unhappy people. We see a number of people who commit suicide increases every year. That is because they were sold a lie. People are disappointed because things are not going their way. Contrary to what they were told, not everything is in their hands. In fact, nothing is in their hands. Human beings are not 
in charge. Friends, you and I are not in control. This morning I want to remind you that God alone is in control and everyone must look to Him for provision. Matthew 6 verse 11 will help us see at least four things our heart should be mindful of when we go to God in prayer. When we pray, we must, one, acknowledge that God owns everything. Two, depend upon Him for everything, including daily provision. Three, understand that needs are not similar to preferences and riches. And four, learn not to be anxious about tomorrow. Let's look at our first point. When we pray, we must acknowledge that God owns everything. Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. In verse 10, Jesus taught his disciples to pray and say, your kingdom come. We saw that every believer should desire God's kingdom. Because of sin, the kingdom of God is not on perfect display at this moment in this world. But a day is coming when the kingdom of God will be on full and perfect display. So Jesus taught his disciples that they ought to be longing for that day. And the perfect way to express their longing was through prayer. Obviously, for those who are longing for the perfect kingdom of God, sometimes the waiting period is frustrating. It is frustrating to see how evil continues to destroy this world. It is frustrating to see all the injustice. It is frustrating to see the rich people living what seems to be their best life, while the poor have nothing at all. Some people may even be tempted to think the rich are in charge. They might believe to achieve anything, they must seek favors from the rich. For that reason, they might even fall into the trap of making shady deals with the rich. In fact, a lot of people have fallen into the trap. Talking about justice, Proverbs 29 verse 26 says, Many seek the face of the ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. In our text this morning, verse 11, Jesus shows his disciples that they should bring their supplication to God in prayer. It is God who is in control and it is God who owns everything. As believers go to God to express their desire for the kingdom of God, they should also go to Him for their needs. Jesus and His disciples were living in the days of the Roman Empire. These were difficult times for Jews as they were continually suffering under the cruel leaders. Matthew, the author of our passage, was a tax collector. And as Pastor Jonathan showed us before, this meant he was working for the enemy. Together with other tax collectors, they felt the only way to make a decent living was through, was through defrauding their fellow Jews. They didn't care how much distress they were causing other Jews as long as their needs were provided for. In their eyes, the only source of provision was Rome. Working for Rome did not give them friends, but it gave them food, and that is the only thing that mattered to them. Due to the condition they found themselves in, they were not interested in making bodies. They only wanted to make money to survive. For that reason, 
they were willing to betray everyone as long as they would have what they needed. And truth is, they ended up getting more than what they needed. It's important, however, to note that text connectors were not religious people. In fact, they were regarded as worst sinners. In a Jewish mind, a text collector was a proper example of wickedness. It is not surprising that the text collectors saw Rome as the source of provision. The problem begins when you look at the religious groups. The highest offices or positions for Jews at the time were found in the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin served as a court and a final authority for, on, on Jewish law. Now, the Sanhedrin consisted of the high priest, the chief priest, the elders, and the scribes. The high priest position was the highest among Jews. Among others, the Sanhedrin included the Sadducees, who were probably the majority group in the Sanhedrin, and the Pharisees, who were expected to correctly interpret the law. It is significant to note that the Sanhedrin was a body or a council that governed all Jews, and Jews were known as the people of Yahweh. What does this mean? It means this body was supposed to point people to God. This was a body that was supposed to teach people God's law. This was a body that was supposed to serve as an example to God's people. This was a body that was supposed to show people how to depend upon God. However, this body failed to do that. These people failed to do that. As they climbed to powerful position, they politicized this religious body. The Sanhedrin became more spiritual, rather more political than religious. The members of the Sanhedrin started embracing wealth than worship. This body became a means of financial freedom than spiritual freedom. Like the text collectors, they also made deals with Rome. In the Old Testament, God appointed the high priest and people knew the qualification of the high priest. However, the Roman Empire changed everything. Rome had no relationship with God, but they started appointing high priests. Obviously, they appointed whoever they wanted, whether that person knew God or not. One of the responsibilities Rome gave to the high priest was that of keeping peace by preventing any uprising against Rome. If the high priest made sure that no one or no group revolted against the Roman Empire, his job would be safe and wealth would be guaranteed. Instead of serving God, the high priest and the entire council were now serving Rome. According to the scripture, one of the reasons the religious leaders wanted, wanted to kill Jesus is they didn't want to lose the protection and the provision they had from Rome. John 11 verse 45 to 48 says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council together and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. 
Friends, these are religious people rejecting Jesus because they didn't want to be in trouble with Rome. So what we see here, we see two groups, non-religious and religious, both looking and depending upon Rome for survival and for sustenance. It is in that context, in that secular environment, that Jesus came and taught his disciples to pray. When everyone was looking at Rome, or when everyone behaved as if Rome was the source of sustenance, Jesus dealt with that fallacy by teaching his disciples to pray to God the Father, who is the only true source of provision. Jesus had to remind his disciples that the arrogant, boastful, cruel empire did not own anything. God is the one who owns everything. Now, there are a lot of similarities between that generation and our generation. It seems as if life these days is about the survival of the finest. Both believers and unbelievers seem to believe the same thing, that to survive you must be creative. And by creative, they mean you must sin wisely but not badly. For example, I would honestly not be surprised if some of you sitting here this morning, believe one solution you have for some of your problem is a bribe and there is no other way. We live in a country where the most important qualification you should have is bright money. If you want a job so that you'll take care of your family, bright money seems to be the only thing that can open doors for you. Maybe you no longer see bribe as, as corruption. Maybe you no longer see it as sin but as a way of life. Maybe you see it as your own, your only way to survive. Beloved, that is the same way the people who live in the Roman Empire felt. That is probably the same way even the disciples of Jesus felt. But Jesus, in this prayer, told them to look to the Father, to look to God alone, because God alone is the source of provision. He reminded them of the most important thing, that amid all corruption and injustice and wickedness and cruelty, God is still the one who owns everything. As believers, we seek better when we seek in prayer. An easy way out is not God's way. In Psalm 24, David wrote, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein. Beloved, if God considers it fit to give us what we believe we need, he will give it to us and nothing can stop him because the earth and all that is in it belong to him. If he doesn't give us what we believe we need, most definitely it is for the best even when we don't see it that way. Many people believe that these days you must know someone somewhere for you to have something you need. They believe that you must be in connection with someone. Yes, all the world is talking about knowing someone if you want something. And I 100% agree with them. You need to know someone. And the good news for us is that we know someone who said, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on the thousand hill, I know all the birds of the hill and all that moves in the field is mine. Psalm 50 verse 20. We know someone who said, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be. 
Isaiah 66, verse 2. And the good news is that this is the one who also said, Call unto me and I will answer you. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Friends, God owns everything and Jesus called his followers to pray to him. This leads us to our second point. As we pray, we must depend upon him for everything, including daily provision. Let us look at our text. Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. As important as it is to understand that God owns everything, we will never benefit from that truth unless we depend upon him. In addition to showing or reminding their, uh, his disciples that God owns everything, Jesus in this prayer was teaching them to depend upon God. The members of the religious council we spoke about earlier believed in God. At least that is what they claimed. If you would have told them that God owns everything, they would have agreed. They were not ordinary people. Some of them were scholars, like the scribes. Their duty was to study the law and to write commentaries. In addition to that, since there was no printing press, press machine, they copied the Old Testament by hand to preserve it. The scribes were so serious about the duty of preserving the Bible that after making copies, they counted letters and spaces to make sure their copies were correct. Even if one letter was missing, they would destroy that copy. However, even though they saw how important the Bible is, it never really impacted their heart. And that is clear because they never depended upon God. Even though the Bible which they were copying and preserving was pointing them to God, after all this great work they were doing, they still trusted Rome for sustenance and for daily provision. Now, Jesus did not want his disciples to be like these religious leaders. In our text, he taught them to depend upon God. And later on, in chapter 10, he gave them a practical training. Matthew 10, verse 5 to 10 says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter not town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without paying. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Now, as he was sending them to preach and to heal the sick, he told them to take nothing with them. He sent them empty-handed. And we know there was not a standard procedure because in Luke 22, he told them to take the money back. So here Jesus was practically helping his disciples to depend upon God for provision. And we see that God provided for them because in Luke 22, they said they lacked nothing when Jesus sent them empty-handed. 
Now Jesus showed his disciples not only that salvation is of the Lord, but also that daily sustenance is of the Lord. Beloved, it would be sad if we sit under the teaching of God's word every Sunday, if we talk about his goodness every midweek meeting, if our hearts would be filled with the joy as we consider the eternal inheritance reserved for us because of Christ, if we would sing praises to him for who he is in every gathering, but still depend upon anyone or anything for daily provision. In Psalm 78, we see how Israel had failed to depend upon God, even though God had proven his faithfulness to them. Psalm 78, verse 19 to 20 says, They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and stream overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Now, this is not a small issue. These people spoke and behaved as if God did nothing for them. And this obviously affected their relationship with God. His wrath was kindled against them because of their behavior. Now talking to their descendants later on in Psalm 95, he said, do not harden your heart as you did at Meribah, as you did at that day at Massa in the wilderness. Where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with the generation. I said, there are people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall not, never enter my rest. Now, why was God angry with these people? I want us to see this. As we saw in Psalm 8, these people were recounting what God had already done for them. But in the end, they did not believe that God could still provide for them. Now, think about this. As these people were looking back, they knew that God took them out of Egypt. They saw how he turned Moses' rod into a snake. They saw how he turned water to blood. They saw how he delivered them from Pharaoh, that mighty king, when he opened the sea and they passed through the dry land. They saw how God destroyed all their powerful enemies. And they also saw how he provided water for them from their rock. Now they were mindful of all those things. They had not forgotten those things, but they still had one question for God. And this, is, you know, this was their question. Are you able to give us bread and meat? That was odd, wasn't it? Now, do you know what else is odd? It is knowing that God is all-powerful. Knowing that God created the world and he sustains it through his providence. It is knowing that God sent his son to save us from the wrath that we deserve. It is knowing that God has wonderful and eternal plans for us, but doubting him when it comes to daily sustenance. That is all. When we are doing that, we are doing exactly what the Israelites did. Friends, God cares for us in such a way that he provided a sacrifice for sinners so that our spiritual life will be taken care of eternally. 
When we say, your will be done, as we saw last time, we are saying it confidently because we know he has given us his spirit who helps us as we live our Christian life. Now, if he has given us this great blessing of salvation, how can we not trust him for lesser blessings? In our passage today, we see that God does not only take care of our spiritual life, but he also takes care of our physical being. And it is for that reason that we must depend upon him for our daily provision. Without a doubt, the greatest need for human, human beings is the salvation of their souls. But we'll be in great error if we think God doesn't care about our physical needs. Friends, it is good to pray for his kingdom to come. It is good to pray for his will to be done. But it's also good to pray for daily bread. The prosperity gospel brought a negative impact even to those who walk in truth. When it came, people were taught that as long as you pray, health and wealth belong to you. Then, when it was opposed because of its falsehood, many people who loved the truth were left confused and struggling. Now they think it is not acceptable to pray for their needs. They end up praying for all spiritual things and leave physical needs to chance. Some even try to change this verse by giving it some spiritual meaning, saying a bread here represents the word of God, because they can't believe that Jesus taught people to pray for their physical needs. Brothers and sisters, we should be amazed that God cares about each and every detail in our life, that he said we must not even worry about what we will eat or wear. He will worry about that. Obviously. We will not necessarily worry about that. The point is, he commanded us to leave that to him. Beloved, as Jesus shows us, we can pray to the Father about our daily need. In fact, he calls us to pray to the Father and to depend on him, upon him alone for our needs. When we say God is a provider, that is not only limited to the wonderful truth that he provided a lamb for our salvation, but it also means he provides our needs according to his purpose. John the Apostle wrote a letter to Gaius. It is greeting, and it was just that, greeting. In verse 2 of that John, he said, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Now, John is one of the disciples who learned from Jesus that God cares for our physical body. He wrote to Gaius, who seemed to be doing well spiritually, and his prayer was that he may also do well physically. It seems like his prayer was an extensive application of what he learned from the Lord's Prayer. Friend, how can you believe this great truth that God cares for your eternal well-being but fail to believe that he cares for your physical well-being? If you are a true believer, I know, I know that Christ is your only hope for salvation. But this morning, I want to remind you that God should be your only hope for sustenance as well. He should be your only hope for daily provision. Also, we need to understand that depending upon God means trusting God alone, not our ability to work, not our strength, not our jobs, and surely not our money. 
It is, it is easy to deceive ourselves into thinking we trust God when in fact we trust our careers and our capabilities. Friends, all these things are important, but they should never replace God in our hearts, lest they define us. These things are not meant to give us identity. Your career, your business, your salary are just means that God uses for your daily sustenance. They should never take God's place in your life or in your heart. God alone is our provider. So we sing, all praise to Him who reigns in love, who guides the galaxies above, yet bends to hear our every prayer with sovereign power and tender care. A few years ago, one pastor said, if you have money, you don't need to pray for bread, you just go and buy bread. So you must work hard so that you will have money. Instead of praying for bread, you will pray for bigger things. Now, that was not surprising coming from that pastor. What made it sad was to see that the church thought that was worth flipping for. This pastor believed it was possible to outgrow this part of the Lord's prayer. And sadly, many people have the same attitude as this pastor. Some are just afraid of being arrogant. Otherwise, they would have long said, Lord, take care of my salvation and I'll take care of my daily sustenance. They think this part of the prayer is for those who find it hard to make ends meet. Perhaps this is not in their speech, but it is in their attitude. Friends, this is not a prayer for those who are poor. This is not a prayer for those who barely survive. This is not a prayer that is based on one's status. This is a prayer for every believer because every believer should depend upon God for everything. After many Israelites had died in the wilderness because of their disobedience, there was a covenant renewal for the second generation in the book of Deuteronomy. The covenant renewal was meant to remind or teach the new generation what the Lord had done for their predecessors. It was also to instruct them about the ways of the Lord before they could enter Canaan. Now, in his admonition to them, Moses told them not to be prideful when they get to Canaan and see their wealth increase. Instead, they were to remember that they did not have any ability or means to provide for themselves. Their provision was solely from the Lord. In Deuteronomy 18:17, it says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this world. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. Now, brothers and sisters, if things are going well for you, if you are not struggling to make ends meet, I want to remind you this, uh, this morning, that it is not your talent that has put you where you are. It is not your education that has put you where you are. It is not your hard work that has put you where you are. It is not your strength that has put you where you are. And it is surely not your wisdom that has put you where you are. Do not look at yourself and boast. But like David, look to God and say, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. All believers, rich or poor, should depend upon God for daily provision. It is important, however, to understand that depending upon God does not mean you will get everything you desire. 
We pray to God, believing He will grant us what we are praying for, but also knowing that He knows what we need better than we do. It is easy for, for us to deceive ourselves by calling everything our need, but God knows our real needs. Sometimes what might be a priority in your eyes, God may see it as a hindrance to His honor and decide not to give it to us. Therefore, depending upon God in his prayer is not limited to his provision, but it also includes depending on his knowledge of what is best for us. In other words, we trust him to decide what our needs are. We don't just go to him having decided what our needs are. As painful as that might be, it means sometimes you might think God has not provided for our needs, when he, in fact he provided our needs, but he left what we did not actually need, even though we thought we needed it. Now, this leads us to our next point. As we pray this prayer, we must understand that needs are not similar to preferences and riches. Let us look at our text, Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. As this text talks about daily bread, it actually refers to what is necessary to support life. I believe if someone were to give us a paper requesting us to write a list of our needs as we normally call them, they would be surprised to see how that list would be full of things that are actually preferences than needs. This is not to say it is wrong to have preferences. But it is to show that in his providence, God has been so kind in giving us more than what we need that sometimes you don't even know what real needs are. Normally, when we cry about needs, we are actually crying about our preferences. Some people are angry at God. Some people are not even going to church now because they prayed and prayed, but God did not provide their needs. However, if you can look closer at their situation, you will realize that God provided their needs but did not give them their preferences. Again, it is not bad to want to grow in some areas of your life, but friends, God owes us nothing. I'll repeat that, God owes us nothing. That is probably a bitter pill to swallow. But sometimes we need to remember this so that we may not think God is our mighty servant. God has never been and he will never be our mighty servant. Some people think God's job is to give them whatever they want and when he doesn't, they have a right to be angry with him. Some are even angry at God because he did not give them something when he already said in his word that they must not even desire it. If it is pleasing to him, God can give anyone preferences and even riches, but he never promised you those things. In this passage, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray for daily bread, not for abundant riches. In fact, the scripture calls believers to contentment and warn them about the riches. First Timothy 6, verse 6 to 10, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with this we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now, this is one of the passages that some people wish they could close their ears when it is read because money is all they live for. All their decisions are based on what will give them more money. When they choose their careers, the only thing they consider is money. Before they accept any job offer, the only thing they consider is money. The husband doesn't mind leaving his wife and kids permanently moving to another province where he will see his family once a month, not because they are struggling financially, but because he can't say no to money. Beloved, God warns us about the love of money. Someone will say, ah, but if I have a lot of money, I'll be able to give to the church and missionaries. <laughs> Friend, do not deceive yourself. That is not the reason you want to have money. That is maybe a good reason you can tell your pastor if you want to ask you why you want to be rich. But that is not the reason you want to be to have money. Who knows, maybe if you were persuaded with riches, you would even live in an unrich area where the gospel has never been preached, where there is no biblical church, because money is more important to you than the gospel and the church. Beloved, this should never be our story. It would be good if other than helping their families, the real reason people wanted to be rich was to take the gospel to the world, to support the missionaries, to donate to struggling churches and to help the poor. But most of the time, it is about status. It is about being respected by everyone. It is about showing those who used to mock you how successful you have become. It is about buying whatever you want, wherever you want and whenever you want. Beloved, even though riches are not wrong, they can easily become our idols. For that reason, Jesus, who knows human heart, taught his disciples to pray for sustenance than riches. Then take us to our last point. As we pray, we must learn not to be anxious about tomorrow. Once again, let us look at our text. Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. During World War II, there was a Christian lady known as Cori Ten Boom. Cori, together with her family, used their home as a hiding place for Jews as the Nazis were attacking them. She is known for a message about forgiveness, as we will see next time, uh, Lord willing. But this morning, I want us to listen to what she said about worry. Cori said, worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. It is carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Beloved, worrying never solves our problem. Instead, it blinds us to the goodness of God. When we worry about tomorrow, we find it hard to be thankful about today. It is a good thing to think about the future. It is good to plan for the future. It is good to prepare for the future. But it is bad to live in the future. When we are anxious about tomorrow, we are trying to live in the future with today's provision. And that 
is not right. Brothers and sisters, instead of trying to live in the future by being anxious about the future, we ought to entrust the future to the one who holds the future. Jesus here is teaching us to depend upon God today, to focus on God's provision today, and to live a life of faith today instead of being anxious about tomorrow. How sad it is that we often waste our time by being anxious about the future that we are not even promised. God did not promise us another day. However, the good news is that if he gives us another day, he promises to be with us. Tomorrow might be the most difficult day of our lives, but if we are in Christ, we won't have to face it alone. By the way, being anxious helps us with nothing. I've never heard anyone saying, yo, being anxious helped me a lot this week. Maybe you should try it. No one has ever said that. But thousand people have said prayer helps. And one of them is Jesus Christ, who is showing us through his word this morning that we must look to God for daily sustenance instead of worrying about tomorrow. Now, if you are sitting here and you are anxious about the future, in Luke 12, 25, Jesus asked, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you fail to trust his word, at least for now, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if, so if God so clothed the grass which is alive in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not see what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Listen to this. And your father knows what you need. Oh friends, the father is not blind to your needs. The father is not ignorant of our needs. The father has not forgotten our needs. The father will still provide our needs. And in addition to that, the father promised us to give us more than our needs, his kingdom. The Father promises to give something that is greater than our needs. His kingdom. Verse 32 of Luke 12 says, Fear not, O little faith, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Beloved, things that we are worried about are very important, but they are little things. The Father has prepared greater things for his children. We are worried about tomorrow's provision, but the Father has prepared eternal kingdom for us. We are worried about clothes for our bodies, but the Father will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like the glorious body of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are worried about this fitting life, but the Father has prepared eternal life for us in Christ. We are worried about perishable things, but the Father has prepared an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is good that God cares and provides for our daily needs. But he does that so that we will not be anxious about this fleeting life. Instead, we will focus on our eternal needs. We should never think our daily needs are an end in themselves. As important as they are, they are just means to strengthen our bodies and sustain us as we pursue Christ-likeness. 
It is not about our daily needs. It is about God's kingdom. It is about being like Christ. It is about glory. The Father provides us our daily needs so that we may look to what is more important, His kingdom. As important as our daily sustenance is, if it is not for the glory of, for the glory of God, we have no right to pray for it. And if it is for the glory of God, we have no right to worry about what God does not provide, for He knows what we need to glorify Him. So, beloved, God takes care not only of our spiritual needs, but also of our physical needs. But He does that so that as His people, we will let nothing we need to live for Him and to glorify Him as we walk on earth. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Great Father, we are so thankful that you love us so much. We are so thankful, O oh Lord, that you have commanded us, Lord, to leave our daily provision to you, for Lord, you are able to provide. You own everything, O oh God. Everything that is in this world belongs to you. Oh Lord, what a joy it is to know that everything belongs to your Father that loves us. But Lord, we pray this morning that you may help us not to deceive ourselves, Lord, into thinking, oh Lord, what we do not receive from you, Lord, it is because you do not love us. But help us to see, oh God, that you know what we need. And Lord, you provide it every day. And Lord, help us that, Father, we not just end, O oh Lord, in looking for our needs, but that, Lord, we may remember that it is all about your glory. It is all about your kingdom. Lord, you provide for our needs so that, Lord, we may look to greater things, so that, Lord, we may look to the gospel, so that, Lord, we may look, O oh Lord, into calling others, O oh Lord, to this wonderful grace that, Lord, you have given to people through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, that our minds, O oh Lord, may be fixed upon you, that then, Lord, we may look upon you alone every day. We thank you, O oh Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.